Well, hey, and welcome to episode nine of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Crismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we talk about hypocrisy within the church, how to cultivate a culture of confession, and the power of the scriptures that most of us try to avoid. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, hey guys, good morning. How are we doing? Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, doing pretty good. Yeah. Good. What a uh, Josh. So, you know, this thing came up on Sunday where Jason admitted openly uh, to, to not eating any real food, which we, you and I both know. But since you've been in town just uh, eight, eight months here, about six, eight months, what, uh, what sort of restaurants are you into around town? Yeah, that's a, you and I are both food people. That's a good question. Um, so our family likes the Park Plaza Deli. Um, it's got some good sandwiches and pizza. Um, really, I don't think I've had anything bad there. And I've had quite a few things there. Uh-huh. It's the beauty of the deli. Yeah. It's a big menu. Everything's good. For sure. Um, we like Bill's Pizza. We're a pizza fan. Um, I know your family too. Brendan enjoys oh, yeah. a good pizza. Bill's is is pretty spot on. Uh, let's see. We haven't found really good Mexican. Our family was probably a once a week Mexican family. Um, we've eaten a couple places. It's just it's randomly. I'm a little disappointed. So yeah. in in Kentucky, it's really good. Mexican food, and there's a lot of Mexican restaurants in Kentucky. I know, Jason, you probably remember this growing up. Every small town has at least one or two, maybe three Mexican restaurants and get good chips and salsa and cheese dip, and I just, we have not found that here. I'm a little disappointed. I've got some stuff to say about that topic. Uh, So there's a couple of things. There's a few layers to this with the Mexican food conversation in in Prescott. Um, We used to have really good Mexican food, and we don't anymore. So that's that's a little discouraging for me. I will give the one caveat to our friends, Sean and Holly, the the gringos taco. That is a good... Burrito. Those guys are phenomenal. And Sean's a great chef. And it's really, really, really good food. So here's the thing. Right next to their lot, if you know where their lot is downtown, it's what they're developing into the food truck park right now. It's off of uh, Court. No, sorry. It's off of uh, what? Willis and Sheldon? No. No. It's Montezuma there? Yes. Willis and Montezuma? Yeah. Just to the right of that lot is a little orange pinkish building have you ever seen this little kind of decrepit building yep i have okay so in 2013 probably uh i moved here in 12 2013 um it was a restaurant it was called hugo's and hugo's was the best mexican food in town bar none um albeit a little bit dicey um like salsa bar that was not cooled in the middle of the room sort of thing with flies and all all that stuff that you would expect from really good Mexican food. Um, But they shut down in 2013. So since they closed, I've not been able to find anything that's that's close. Now, and you and I chatted about this too. There's a couple of places in PV that are pretty good. Maya's is really, really, really good. But uh, I'm with you. I'm 
there's no Mexican food around town with the exception of the the taco truck that I'm like, oh, that that's it. That sounds really good. Yeah, definitely. And just to as the if you do work at a Mexican restaurant and are listening to a broadcast, I I'm willing to come and try it. So you should come say, hey, you should come here. I'll always try. My boys are like our family. Just it's an easy win. Like if we're ever traveling on on a trip with our family, like we stop at rest uh at exits that have mexican restaurants because yeah. i know my boys will eat that 100 percent, and i would rather eat that than like eating mcdonald's 100 100 percent. do we want to ask jason what his favorite restaurant is oh you already know i know texas roadhouse <laughs> <laughs> you guys are hurting my heart and I'm a fan of Arturo's. So that's like, it's a kind of a the greasy spoon Mexican. And I think their salsa is the best in town. And so we love to go and get enchiladas at Arturo's. So my second week in Prescott, my family went and ate there. And then I got a vicious stomach bug. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, Un- unrelated? N- unrelated. Oh, unrelated. Not say. from Arturo's. No, 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 no. It was Jay- Jason, you were sick too that time. I believe you were the one who got me sick. But <laughs> anyways, um, so I can't drive by it. It's just still, I think I need yeah. probably six or eight more months. You know when that happens, man. <laughs> it's just a correlation in your mind. And I'm like, nope, can't do that again. Yeah, buddy. Oh, man. <laughs> I had no idea that was true. Yeah, yeah uh, I mean, Arturo's is good. It's... I think what Josh is trying to get to is like the it's the spot that you go to every time. Like you haven't found that yet. It's the Mexican spot that you go to every single time. Bills, that's the pizza I go to every single time. I think I've had this argument over and over again. People are going to argue with me saying this. I think Bills is still the best pizza in town. There's a lot of good pizza in Prescott. I think Bills is the best. Better than Papa John's? Oh. <laughs> Do you see what he's saying about real food people? And I like Papa John's. It's it's a good cheap pizza. It's a good cheap pizza. Like Oh man! So what? What is no like real? In real honesty, what is your go-to, Jason? Like your family for what? Just if you're going out to eat, what's your go-to? Um, yeah. So Kelly and I, our date night really will be Texas Roadhouse. Like I am all in for their ribeyes. Like they have the best steak in town. So that's the thing. So if we're if it's just my wife and I and we're going out, we'll go to Texas Roadhouse and get a steak. Nice. All right. They they got great steaks. It's and it's inexpensive. I will say, you know, we've gone uh, a couple of times with you, Jason, and uh, and fried pickles. Uh, the fried pickles are pretty dang good. And I will say, it's a good inexpensive steak. I have. Yeah. I am almost always let down. So I, I cook a lot, right? Like when yeah. at home, I, if I'm gonna eat steak, I'm probably just gonna cook it myself. Uh, so anytime I go to a restaurant and pay, especially if you're paying like high dollar prices for a steak. I'm almost always disappointed, but that Texas Roadhouse, it's like, what, 15 bucks? Yeah. It's like 15 bucks for a ribeye. You can't really be upset about that. Right. Yeah. So, and I don't cook. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, though, you, you'd kind of touched on something, you know, how, being in a town, you, you find your spot that you go to, right? That makes it feel a little bit like home. If people um, come and visit, this is where we take them. Oh, yeah. Right. So that has honestly become, the the deli for us yeah right like that is park plaza is that place for us if we have anyone come in we're like hey let's go here i know i can get you 
good burger or a good sandwich or they've got pretty cool specials every now and again. But again, to say all that, it's, the cool part is, like I said, it's it's like, oh, this is home. This is my place. Right? Yeah. You begin to go there so often, you know, waitresses and waiters and they see your family. And so that's the exciting part of just, you know, not living here very long. Finally finding those places to, you know, the press gets like, oh, yeah, this, yeah, I know that guy. Oh, yeah, that's my waiter. That's my waitress. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And we love Liquor Deli, too. It's obviously it's a fan favorite. So it's great. Their Cubana is amazing. Well, along along those lines, Josh, just one small business shout out before we move on with the conversation here. Uh, Nick's Feed Your Face downtown. I know you've been to Nick's. Uh, Jason doesn't like Ugh, cabbage. So there's got so a, much cabbage he's got a thing. on their sandwiches. Um, so much cabbage. And not everyone has good taste, which is what we need to just <laughs> keep remembering. Uh, but Nick, so like I, you know, when I moved here, uh, I'm a big sandwich guy. So I found Nick's and it was right, right where I, near where I worked at the time. And I'd go pretty regularly. I got to know some of the guys that work there. And, uh, and now I, it's very infrequent that I go nowadays for whatever reason. But every time I, I'll call in my order and I'll go pick it up and the guy still knows my name. And I'm like, oh, that's really nice. Like there is something that's really nice about that, even though, yeah. So That's that small town Prescott. It yeah. is definitely the piece of us. Can we also talk about the fact that he doesn't like coffee? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know he says it. I know there are others. I know there are others of you who don't like it as well. But uh, it's just... Maybe coffee can be our next banter because I've got a thing on coffee too right now. So maybe we can save that one for next week. Okay. We'll just, we'll just shame Jason. I'm with you <laughs> later. I'm, I'm with you though. I'm he does you. drink Coke though. So if you, if you are looking to get Jason a gift, the man <laughs> can put away some Coca-Cola. So he loves it in all forms. I think, I think he likes it the most in a mcdonald's uh 100 <laughs> it is better i will not, say i don't i haven't drink i haven't drink soda in 10 years probably but a mcdonald's coca-cola out of the fountain that's it, right it's it's incredible it just hits <laughs> different and it's a buck it's a dollar for a giant large coca-cola so praise yes, god almost every day i'm getting one of those sometimes too yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a bad thing. I know that's going to get me emails, but it is. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of upset uh, physicians <laughs> in your <laughs> inbox this week. Hey, well, let's dig in. Um, this Sunday, uh, we're in Romans chapter two, second sermon out of Romans chapter two. Um, and it was a bit of a heavy one. I, I feel like all three of us, um, you know, when we when we were talking about this message, especially those couple of stories, and we all know stories like it um, from from disgraced and fallen pastors, people that have done horrible, horrible things. But I, I will say, I I loved the perspective, Jason, that you brought to the conversation of. Um, you know, our natural bent is to look at those situations and say, oh, they're the worst. Those people, those people are the worst without recognizing this is what you did really well without recognizing that all of that is in all of us and it may not come out. It may not represent itself the same way. Um, but the reality is like those, the, the core foundational sins that caused those couple of actions mm -hmm. that you explained in, in the message that's in us. Well, it's in me for sure. And honestly, I wasn't, when we first talked about those stories, that's not where my heart was. Like literally it was over the next two and three and four days that it was just like God saying, you think you're better? 
And so that's where that piece came from. It was it was literally the Holy Spirit revealing that piece to me. So, yeah, I think the fact that we see it from the outside on these guys oftentimes distracts us from the fact that that stuff is seriously still going on in us. So, yeah, it's in me for sure. <clears throat> yeah, I have a really cool, not cool story. That's the wrong way to set this up. I have a really formative story about hypocrisy. So I was the freshman. I went to Cumberland College now, the University of the Cumberlands. Uh, it's in southeastern-ish Kentucky, right on the Kentucky-Tennessee border, for those of you who may have a reference point there. Um, so I went to play football. Um, really quick, all, story always knew I was going to go to Bible college or become a pastor, but I wanted to kind of do my own thing first. It was kind of a, a deal that I made with God. Um, I was like, hey, let me do my thing, and then I'll go do your thing. Um, so I always knew I was going to go eventually and be a preacher, but I wanted to play football. Loved playing football uh, and doing all that stuff. So I go my freshman year, and I call my freshman year, that freshman year, kind of my red shirt year of Christianity. Like, I really walked away from my faith. Like, I was pretty active in youth group. I was serving. I had preached sermons up to that point. Like, I I mean, pretty, pretty involved um, in doing stuff. And literally in one year, just kind of threw it all away. Man, I got in party scene, playing football, ended up doing some stuff really, really ashamed of, just crazy, just not living how God for sure calls. Um, And so it's towards the end of the year, and we're all hanging out. Um, It's three or four or five of us, all of us kind of offensive linemen, a few defensive linemen kind of hanging out. There's a guy in the middle of our circle. His name was Jason Pops Rogers. Called him Pops because he was twenty. He was like twenty six years old, and he was hanging out with us playing football. Um, and so we're talking about like, hey, what are you guys going to do? What are you going to school for? You know, just kind of getting to know one another. Um, and everybody kind of goes around the circle, and I go, well, you know, after this, I'm going to be a pastor. I'll, I'll, you know, either go to seminary or whatever. And uh, I'll never forget. He looked. He looked at me and went, huh, pastor. I didn't even know you knew God. And it is formative etched in my mind of in one year, I threw it all away. And I was the biggest hypocrite ever. Not too long after I go to Bible college and do all this stuff, but that look in his face as he looked at me and was shocked that I even knew who God was. Well, it is the moment so many times that I always am. I thought about when you were preaching, Jason, and that stuff is in me. And I know it's so easily to go there. I know how quickly I went there in my own life. And so, man, I the whole time you're talking going, man, I've got an ugliness in me and it wants out. And if it gets out, I, I've seen the damage it can do. And so that's why I think about it. this guy was a Gentile, so to speak, probably and I don't know what his story is now. He may or may not know God. I, I don't know. But he sh- certainly didn't learn that from me. He did not see the ways of Jesus. And so always something that I look back at just with, you know, just ashamed of. And that's not how we should live. So that lines up exactly with what, um, I think I called him Steve Lyons. I think it was Gabe Lyons. Steve Lyons, when you said that, so Steve Lyons is a, this is the Steve best. Steve Lyons is a baseball player from the 80s. Well, Steve Lyons is also a guy from our hometown. Oh, that's right. That's Bear. <laughs> that's and I was right. like, I think he means Gabe, Gabe Lyons. Lyons. That's Sorry, fine. I, I know who Steve Lyons is. 
Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of too, Jason, though, just the, the the Barna statistics. Yeah, so you got Barna who says, like, again, he asks unbelievers, do you know any Christians? And does their life look different from yours? And 85% of people who knew a Christian said, no, their life is not any different. And that that's tragic. That's tragic. And it does have this effect on people. Like, why would we be a part of something that's, what, what would be the point of me coming to your faith if your life looks exactly like mine? Yeah. Yeah. And 100%, you know, that doesn't mean my life looks great, right? All the time. My life looks way better necessarily, but um, there has to be some sort of notable difference, right? Like if we, if we say that there's life transforming power in the gospel, but we don't live a transformed life, our life looks no different. Uh, than it did before, right? We need Jesus. Then, yeah, I'm with you. I think we're um, we're off somewhere, and that's a convicting thought too. Um, again, just trying to circle that back to my own life, um, because I think there's always areas where we can grow, right? There's always sure. areas we can we can um, look less and less worldly and look more and more uh, like Jesus. And we talked about that last week, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole sanctification process. But um, no, it's a convicting thought. Yeah, it's the Matthew chapter 5, salt and light. Like, that is what we're called to be, that there should be a very big distinction between light and dark, and we're called to be in the light. We are called to be the light, and so there has to be a distinction from the darkness if you're going to be the light. So there, yeah, so the piece of it should look different. There should be some kind of noticeable difference, um, I think, there, there is a wait for that for all of us. Yeah, I think too. You know, how does that play itself out in in our lives, right? Like, uh, I think of people. You know, when I was uh, a young believer or just starting to go to church. Um, uh, gosh, when I was you know a teenager or whatever it was, a little younger. Uh, that was what drew me in. Right. So I remember, uh, here's a little shout out, but I've got this friend, Mike, his name's Mike. And, uh, you know, he was my first youth coach in, in, um, I was probably in middle school, fifth grade, sixth grade. And I remember the reason, um, that I was so engaged early on, right. The reason that I, I became so quickly engaged, um, was just by connecting with this guy and him being just a genuinely good dude. And then, you know, he'd invite me over to their house. He had a kid a little younger than me that's a good friend of mine now. And I could just see the way they lived their life. And by no means, by no means at all was it perfect or was there, you know, just pure joy and happiness all of the time. That was not the case. Um, But there was authenticity. There was transparency. um, and it was just, it was always open and available to me. And that was the thing that captivated me from the very, very beginning was just this, oh, there is this notable difference within the life of this person that I really look up to. And that's a huge part of my story. Uh, again, like I, I've, I, that relationship, we always talk about, <clears throat> you know, relationship is the foundation of so many people's faith. You know, I think we're, we're designed to do this thing together. And that's that relationship for me. It's like, oh yeah, I could tell he was different. He believed something. He he knew something that I didn't know. And for whatever reason, that was really, really captivating to me. So I think there's a lot of power in that. Yeah, I was going to add. So um, if, 
there's a book. It's called The Destroyer of the Gods. Uh, it's a book about the first uh, church, basically, first century Christians, essentially. And there were five distinct markers that made them believers. Like there were things that they did and the way they lived that looked so drastically different than the culture in which they lived in that it made people take notice. I think that was your list yesterday, and you probably could have added 50 things to that list, Jason, Mm -hmm. of the things that the world does, but we still do. And in the beginning, that was the thing that set apart these believers. A lot of it is their... Sexual ethics, um, that uh, talks about it a lot. Talks about, so, you know, like I said, there's five different areas. If you're a reader, it's a, you know, it's a kind of a history book, a really good book. But when I was reading that book and then listening to this message too, it does remind me to go, man, we actually, if we would do what Jesus says, it will draw people in. Like Brennan was just saying, it. you go, man, I, I want that. Especially if you come from something that isn't that, just seeing it. Being a part of it, you go, ah, I want that for my life. I want what they have. And then as believers, that's when we get the opportunity to share our piece of it to go, hey, look, I'm I'm not any better than you. I, I have just been transformed by the gospel and what Jesus has done for me. And let me tell you about him. And so that's how we get to do that because that invites people into our story. But like you said, if they just are looking at us seeing the same thing, why would anybody go? Wow, your life's clearly different. I want that. Yeah, I, Brennan, I think what you just said about if we believe in a transforming gospel, but there's nothing in our life that's transformed, what are we actually saying about the gospel? Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a, we are, <laughs> we're telling the world that this thing has no power, and and that is a frightening thing. So, there, there has to be something in us that is living transform, and maybe it is just the transparency. Maybe it is the ability to uh, repent of sin. Like we're going to have that. What do we do with it when we do? So, uh, the confession, the repentance piece, the the transparency of recognizing our own sinfulness, I think is powerful. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, I would agree with that as well. Uh, I think, yeah, there's there's a lot there. And again, for me, I think it's more hopeful um, than anything else because, again, it's just me remembering my own story and the people that impacted me the most. Um, and it wasn't... here. Here's the wild thing about it. I feel like... And it, we might get off on a little bit of a tangent here. Um, I, I feel like this idea... And Josh, you and I have been talking about this for a little while. This idea of uh, what we call relational evangelism. It's like, just, hey, how do we connect with people? Uh, how do we connect with people in a way that's impactful? And how do we help share this hope that we have in Jesus with people who don't have that same hope? And we can make that really, really intimidating. Like mm-hmm. we can make that really, really hard in our minds. We can make it as as if we need to have all of the answers to the questions that they might ask us, even though no one's actually going to ask you those questions, right? Uh when in reality, like, I think it's, I, I have a lot of hope in looking back on my own story because uh, all that was offered to me um, was this example of a life that was lived differently than I had ever seen. And 
an openness and transparency with me being able to ask questions and and that sort of thing. And just even if there wasn't an answer, it was it was just hell. I exist in this space, and that was the most transformative. Again, early on in my in my walk with Jesus, that was the most transformative thing to me. And again, I look back at that and I was like, oh, what Mike did for me was not hard. Like that wasn't challenging. There was no there was no part of that. Like he he made himself available. That not to discredit you know the effort that that takes, but. He didn't go to seminary. He wasn't a Bible college student. Like he just loved Jesus and Jesus changed his life. And, and again, I think that's, there's power in that, uh, that simplicity. Yeah, definitely. I, I, the transparency piece is thinking through, I'm, you know, Brendan, I know you've known Jason for quite a while now. Um, obviously our histories have been intertwined for a long time, man. I, I just want to commend you, bro. Like, as a pastor to stand up in front of your flock and just say, Hey, this is me. And you do it all the time anyways, but it it was a little different Sunday. It definitely was like very like just confessing, just like you said. And so again, if this is what our leadership can do, and this is what our pastor drives us to do, then in our groups this week, hopefully we are saying, Oh yeah, that is in me. Right. Because that's the intention. That's what we want. We want our groups, relationships, merit, whatever it is within you are sharing this stuff to be honest and open and transparent. Just like you said, if we let that stuff stay in the dark, it just festers and grows. But the moment that we confess, not that it gets easier, but that it's in the light and there's this freedom because what Jesus says, there's this freedom in this confession. And so, man, I, it really was. It was a powerful moment. And, and again, I think it is the speed of the leader, speed of the team kind of stuff. And just, I was like, man, if, if he could do that, we all as a body of believers, we, we're not on stage. You're just going to be in a circle with maybe eight people, right? You're not going to have 1,200 to 1,500 people listening to this thing. So um, again, man, I just, kudos to you. Um, that's, again, I know that you're not looking for that, man, but seriously, I, it was a, it was a big moment in that sermon. And I think just for our church and the desire we have to want to do the hard things and that one of those is confess. And so, man, just incredible. So I was, I was super humbled and taken back. Brendan, I'm sure you probably feel very similar. I do. And really the word that keeps coming to mind during this conversation is this idea of just like surrender. I, you know, it's really easy. I think our natural bent is just to store up and deal with these things on our own, right? It's like, man, my own sin, I'm just going to, I'm going to hang on to that and I'll try to figure it out right there in on my own. And I think there is, to your point, Josh, there's a beauty in this idea of surrendering and like there's this openness to it, being able to just say, yeah, this is in me. This is in me. It's in us collectively, it shows ourselves or shows itself a little differently, you know, person to person. Um, and and ultimately, like that's what Jesus is asking of us. Like, oh, just surrender to me. Like, there is this way, <laughs> surrender to it, uh, and I will move it in you. Um, and that it's a hard thing to do. Again, I think this idea of just like giving it up and, and trying to rely, you know, not on our own our own strength or wisdom or power or perceived knowledge, right? Uh, it's hard to give that up. So yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, great job, Jason, for for leading the way on that. Well, it isn't even Jason, to be honest with you. You guys know I did a, uh, we had our elders retreat um, earlier in the week 
And so this is something that we do every year. So our elders get together for a couple of days, two, three days, and just think about what's next and pray through uh, where God's leading us. And as a part of that, over the last uh, few years, this confession piece has become a real part of what we're doing as eldership. Like we're trying to figure out what real biblical community looks like and how do we experience and express and live out the gospel with and for one another. And so at our elders retreat, um, the chairman of our elders had a whole big, uh, he had a, a ball cap with about 25 questions folded up in the thing. And it's all the questions that you don't want to answer. And we would literally at mealtime or just sitting around, we pick one out and we Everybody in the room has to answer this question, and we've grown to trust each other and believe the gospel enough that our sins are covered, that 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 if you can't have a space in the church where you're confessing sin, then what are we doing? Like, that's the whole point. That's the, that's the entire point of the gospel, is that we find a place where redemption is available. And if that that's not a part of the rhythm of the church, then we've got issues. And so uh, to your point, Josh, we it starts at the leadership level. And so that's what our eldership have been practicing. You know, we, last year at this time, there was this kind of theme that kept coming up at this time. We're not doing snot crying this year. No more, no more <laughs> snot crying. Like literally last year, we, every one of us took them, took an hour in our elders retreat and we said, okay, what's going on in your life today, in your family, in your thought life, in your um, uh, spiritual disciplines, what's what's beneath the surface that nobody else, and every single one of us during that hour ended up snot crying for an hour. Like it was, and so we said this year, we're not going to do that. And so that's why we did one question at a time as opposed <laughs> to dumping them all at once. So that was the goal. But that transparency piece is so important. And what allows me to stand up and confess just a smidgen of the evil that's in me is knowing that I have leaders and elders who get it and they want us to be authentic and and they recognize that we all need the gospel. It's not that the gospel is available for the pastor as much as for the person in the chairs. Like it's that's why we're there. And so we have to practice this out and lead, uh, lead it out as pastors. So um, I give kudos to our eldership. Yeah. You're right, though. What are we doing? Oh, man, what are we doing as a church? Like, and not like Quad City, but church collectively. And I know there, again, there are some churches who practice this really well, but I think Satan has definitely got us to think that we just have to keep it all in especially the leaders and pastors, but even people, right? Like, again, we we believe that lie is, oh, if they knew this, they would be done with me. But like you said, the church should be the place of redemption and transformation. We all have the starting point of like, I am a sinner saved by Jesus's work on the cross. And all of our sins are just forgiven in that, but we do, we, we come we sit, we sing, we listen. Some may even be a part of community groups or whatever they look like, small groups, life groups, discipleship groups. What, there's even still things that people hold back. 
there's, there's things people are afraid of sharing as if we're going to wound one another with it. I think mm-hmm. that's the fear, right? That people are going to, they're going to, they're going to use it. If I tell this to Brendan, he's going to use this mm-hmm. against me in my lowest moment to take advantage of me, which is why I think all the one another's are in scripture, right? Yeah. To remind that we are actually in this together. Have you guys ever had that go wrong? Confession? I I don't, I don't think I have. Yeah. No, I have. You've, you have? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So here's the thing. It takes two, two, there's two elements that make up this beautiful relationship, right? It's our honesty, uh, a person's honesty and willingness to, uh, you know, surrender to self, surrender to ego and say, oh, here's where I'm having a hard time. Here's the thing that's really, really challenging to me. On the flip side of that, it also takes someone with honesty and humility to to lay down their ego and to receive that and rather than right uh like to be a safe place for that um because i think that's the fear and that fear can be affirmed oh i told this person this thing that i'm having a hard time with and now it pops up every once in a while as like a slight or as a oh you're just dealing with that thing again you're just you're having a hard time with your pride again and that's why we're having this conversation um so yeah it takes it takes humility and honestly, on both parties. And that's a hard thing to find. So I'm with you, Josh. How do we create um, more of that? Because it's exactly what we're, we're called to. Well, I think of it like this. <laughs> As you were talking, Josh, I'm like, okay, why don't we do this? Uh, hopefully, Romans is going to help. Because I think part of the problem is we don't want to confess our sin because, well, they may think bad of me. And I think the point of Romans is to say, well, it's because you're bad. <laughs> At this point, we're all, and we threw four or five weeks in a row. <laughs> it's worse than you think. And so let's just own that fact. If we just actually had that as a, as a baseline default, look, I deserve hell. And anything outside of that is a bonus. Like if we can't, like that is the grace of Jesus. If, if that would just destroy our ego, holy snikes, then we're in a good place because our ego needs to be destroyed. It's We are worse than we think. And so if we could just come to that as a collective group, then we would not be afraid of, what are they going to think of me? You know what they're going to think? They're going to think you're a sinner. That's what they're going to think. And you need grace. That's what they're yeah, going to think. That's good. That's good. Well, hey, one, there's another uh, quick topic that I think we can cover here. And it just comes to this, this text in the middle of, of what we talked about. So we were in verse uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 24 this past Sunday. Right in the smack dab, like smack dab in the middle of this section, there's this really interesting line. And Jason, I want to hear a little bit of your perspective on it. So, um, right, Paul is, Paul is going through <laughs> essentially making sure that everyone's aware of who he's talking to, right? The, the Jews, these mm-hmm. people that uh, blind leading the blind, right? He's going through all of these things. And then he says at uh, the end of verse 20, because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Yeah, that is such a great line. And whenever I read that line, it's the one thing that pops out is just a reminder to me that Paul's talking about the parts of the Old Testament that you skip over in your Bible reading plan. Like he's talking about Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He's talking about the, the Torah. 
I mean, the embodiment, he's talking about the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. He's talking about Exodus. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about these parts of the Bible that that we don't even like to read. We are, oh, everybody said, oh, I love Romans, to which I always thought. Everybody kept telling me how excited they were about Romans. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's because you haven't really read it. That's why you <laughs> like it. The, But he's not even talking about that. He's talking about, again, this, the embodiment of knowledge and the truth in the Old Testament. He's writing the New Testament. Like, this is, that's not what he's describing. He's talking about this thing that was given to Israel in the law, in the prophets, and and he's holding it up and saying, this thing that we have in our Bibles that, that we don't ever even read, the Old Testament, it is the embodiment of knowledge and truth. I mean, that is such a powerful, powerful line. And we could actually even, in my Bible, they're literally across from each other on the page. Chapter 3, verse 2 says, hey, what advantage is there in being a Jew? And to which Paul says, much. Here's the best thing of all. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. And again, he's talking about the Old Testament. Like these are God's actual words put on a page, the embodiment of all knowledge and truth on a page, and we have them in our hands, and I think we take it for granted. We don't even understand how amazing the scriptures are, even the Old Testament scriptures. We just take it for granted. These these people forgot just how amazing, maybe they did. They loved the law. Like, they literally loved the law. You listen to David write it in the song. He loved it. They loved it. And again, it's the part of the Bible we skip over and and I think there's so much more to it than we understand. So I just love that line. That's a really good line. Um, I do have a question, too. Just thinking through, uh, you, got, you got to the end and said, this this sermon sucks. Uh, <laughs> and this passage, it can leave us feeling kind of hopeless about our inability to please God. Right? Like we it, So as believers, what hope do we have to be able to please God? Like, how do we... How do we actually do that? Like, what are some tangible, practical things or just some formation? Because like you said yesterday, feeling guilty is not necessarily the the changer. So what do you guys think? How, what hope do we have? Like, hopefully people, I don't want them walking around all week with no hope. Well, let me end where I ended yesterday. Like, what, just pick one thing. Like, we know, I gave probably 30 examples yesterday of ways that many of us Believe one thing. Do not steal. But are you stealing? Do not commit adultery. Are you committing adultery? You know, that's the that's the probing question Paul asks us. He's trying to get us to reflect on our own life. Where is it that we say one thing, but we're actually doing something else? And so that's that's the piece. That's the hope piece. It is the transformation piece. It is Titus 2, 11 and 12, that this grace that that saves us is also the grace that transforms us. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So there is a grace that can change me today. So that's the one thing that I would say for all of us. What is the one thing? Where is one area in your life that there's a gap 
between what you say you believe and way you actually behave. And just how do we just close that gap? Just pick one. Let's make our beliefs line up with our behaviors or the other way around. How do we make, as I said yesterday, the tongue in our mouth match the tongue in our shoe? That we're walking the talk, that we're doing what we're saying we're doing. And then we rinse and repeat. Right? Yeah. Over and 100%. over again. That's right. Yeah. Start there. Yeah. Keep keep going. And it is, the again, it's the grace of God that's doing that in us. We don't have the power to transform ourselves. But if we are in the Word and have the Spirit and are surrendered to Christ, there should be this ongoing transformation. There should be these, in every area of our life, this closing of the gap that we're walking our talk more and more and more as we grow closer to Jesus. And circling back to that piece of verse 20, like the whole reason the law was given was so that the Israelites would then live in such a way that they would be a light to the nations around them. So when God gives them the law and says, you're going to enter into the promised land, there's going to be all these nations around you. My hope is that you don't live like them. And that if you live like this, you will be a light to the nations. And, and so as we change ourselves, as we begin to look differently, as we begin to do the things that God's law now, which is in Christ, to love God and to love others as we love ourselves, that's the Christ law. Paul talks about that throughout his epistles. As we begin to do those things now, which is the summation, obviously, of all of the Deuteronomy laws. But anyways, we begin to be that light. I think that's that is how people see a change in us. I think our neighbors and our coworkers, that's how they notice it when we just one at a time and they start to go, "Oh, he's wow, he's different now. He used to be really angry all the time. What happened?" Man, your kids begin to see that. That was a I mean we we could have we could spend all time talking about that too, just the hypocrisy that leads to our kids or grandkids not living our their our faith, right? They don't want anything to do with it. We go to pass it down and they reject it because we haven't lived out the thing we wanted to live out because they go, well, what was the difference? You said all those things, but Sunday morning, you were one way, in the, like you said, in the lobby, and then all week in the living room, you were a different dad. And so, again, another really convicting thing. But, I, but again, I just think of the law was given so that they would be a light to the world around them and— they didn't do that. And now Jesus, again, Matthew chapter 5, he gives that <laughs> to us. Like, yeah. you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. Like, that's our calling now. And uh, think about the way Paul puts it. Like, shine like stars in the sky. Set yourself apart from this corrupt generation. It's in, uh, I think, Philippians chapter 1. You know, So there, there is that calling for us to be that now. Isn't that an old Christian song? I want to shine like star in the heavens. <laughs> That's yes. kinda, it sounded like one when he right? said it. Isn't that a Christian? I know it is a text too in Philippians, <laughs> but I feel like that's like a Jars of Clay or... Jason loves Jars of Clay. I he do. does. That's why... You, that song, you know what I'm talking that about? That is. It is a Jars of Clay song. Yes. <laughs> ah, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to derail us. I mean, literally, it just popped in my head. I was like, oh, that's... That's a 1990s song right there. Uh, dude, that's a great album. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> okay, we're about to get off sideways. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much. We'll, uh, we'll see you again soon. 
Amen. Well, if you ever have any questions about Sunday's message or anything that pops up that you would love answered, then I encourage you to join us at quadcity.church slash Romans, where you can submit questions to be answered right here on the Gospel for Everyone podcast. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope this conversation added value and spurred you on towards love and good deeds, helped you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Again, thank you for joining us. We hope to see you again next time.